Hello and welcome to episode 5 of True Talk, a companion podcast to the film The Truman Show, created by me, Christopher Bingham. This episode is probably the one that veers the most off from the actual text of the film and into the realms of speculation, but it it gathers together my experience of my changing experience of this film uh, over having watched it regularly since I was about 10 years old. I am now, as at time of recording, 31 years old, and I've watched this movie probably 50, 50 plus times. I love it. I've probably, to be honest, overdone it, and, and after this I need to take a break and maybe not watch it for a few years. But over that time, my interpretation of it, my enjoyment of it, and of different aspects of it ha- have, have drastically changed. The Truman Show is about Truman finally figuring out a grand conspiracy, that his life is a fabrication, and that everyone he knows is an actor. But when exactly does he figure it out? Over the 20 years I've been a fan of this film, my perspective on this topic has shifted, ultimately taking me to a reading that dramatically recontextualizes the film. There are many moments throughout the film where little nuances in performance, facial expressions, or or single words are used to distract, conceal the truth, avoid something, or draw attention. One amazing way to watch this film is to actively imagine it as a kind of spy or detective flick, where everyone is in on the secret, but who's going to give it away? How much does Truman know, when, and what sets him off? The obvious inciting incident is the crashdown of a studio light in the street outside Truman's house, right at the beginning of the film. This is actually a part of the story that was always there, that's been there since the very first draft of the script. It's positioned as the first of several weird things that caused Truman to question his reality. And it's no accident that the light is labelled Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky, and one traditionally associated with guiding travellers on long journeys. Thus begins Truman's own journey of discovery and the beginning of a reactionary phase for the cast and crew of his life as they scramble to make excuses and cover things up. Classical Clive is the first up, lying on the radio about a damaged aeroplane. This is Classical Clive with Classical Drive, so why don't you forget about the perils of flying? Settle back and let this music calm you down. Fuck you, Classical Clive. There are lots of moments in the film where the dynamic changes and where members of the cast give themselves away, some obvious, some more open to interpretation. This isn't entirely comprehensive, but I'm going to go through a list. Uh, The twins, Ron and Don, and their very noticeable product placement. And how's your lovely wife? The ticket guy at the crossing watching Truman to see if he'll actually get on the boat. Basically, any time Meryl advertises a product and does her advertising voice. Why don't you let me fix you some of this new Mococo drink? The rain sequence, where rain uh, selectively falls on Truman for a little bit before the rest of it catches up. <laughs> Lots of moments in the high school flashback. Uh, things like um, the how is it going to end pin. Uh, Sylvia not knowing her name, saying that she, not knowing Japanese, saying that she can't talk to him. Sylvia's fake dad, and and basically that whole scene. Konnichiwa. <laughs> uh, um, you take Japanese. Um, the radio malfunction on his way to work. The awakening scene with the you know iconic music from Dalvitz with the elevator green room and the traffic and and. 
Truman starting to feel like he can tr- control things. Characters checking their watches, repeated movements, or, or not responding to Truman in, in normal ways. It's when I'm unpredictable, that's the thing they can't, you know. Anything happen? No. Mm-hmm. His mother being pushy with photo albums to try and, you know, seemingly try and take him off the scent of doctored photos. The travel agent still having her makeup uh, cloth on. The little girl on the bus uh, pointing at Truman and saying, is that you-know-who, before being shushed by another actress. The sad bus driver, the uh, police officer using his first name at the power plant, and then the kind of police officer in the next scene leaning in, which I've mentioned, kind of trying to get a peek of the celebrity. You're welcome, Truman. Obviously, the moment where he's hassling Meryl and she calls out and addresses the crew. <laughs> Do something! And in the heart-wrenching Marlin scene where he says he would never lie to him. That look, that look that Jim Carrey gives in that moment, there is a moment that feels to me, at least, like recognition. His, his eyes lift slightly, then he turns to Marlin with this kind of horror. The beauty of it, of course, is that it's ambiguous. But to me, it feels like in that moment, Truman realizes he can't trust Marlon. To figure out how much Truman knows and when, you kind of have to work backwards. In the dramatic climax of the story, Truman tricks the cameras and escapes through a hole he has dug leading from his basement to the front lawn. And from there, he makes it to the coast and steals a boat. All of this happens off screen. And by the time we catch up to him, he's already out to sea. I had probably watched this movie at least 10 times when on a rewatch, I noticed something that completely shook my understanding of Truman and the timeline of his escape. Just nine minutes into the film, after the scene at the dock, Merrill returns home to find Truman gardening. Hi, honey. He's positioned on his knees facing away from the camera and doesn't stand up to meet her. She advertises the chef's pal. He says, Wow. That's amazing. She makes a joke about missing a spot and then leaves. Truman, miss a spot. It's a short, harmless scene that illustrates their kind of lackluster marriage. I'd never thought much about it, although I had always found it kind of odd that we have this big shot of Jim Carrey's ass and he stays on the ground the whole time. Then it hit me. He's digging the hole. He's digging the hole. We're not even 10 minutes into the movie and Truman is executing his escape plan. This changes everything. With this in mind, I think it's very safe to say Truman knows at least something about what's going on. He suspects things even if he hasn't had them confirmed. He suspects enough to be planning his escape. When you realise this, it kind of flips the table. You're watching Truman try not to give away what he already knows. If you've read articles about The Truman Show, like I certainly have, you might have seen the protagonist described as unaware or oblivious, and he's not. The more I've watched this film, the more I've come to believe that Truman, from the very start, already knows more than they think he does. We see him attempt a few exploratory missions, testing his environment, seeing what he can get away with, but also feeds them misinformation. In a way, 
After years of not knowing he was living on a stage, we watch Truman finally become a performer. Nothing more beautifully conveys this than when, in the final moments of the film, he recites his catchphrase, In case I don't see ya, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Then takes a bow. The look on his face in that moment is the look of a man who has played everyone. Of course, no single reading of a film or piece of art should be treated as gospel. The great thing about good art is that it can and should be interpreted differently by different people. A lot of what I'm reading into comes down to tiny nuances in performance, details that might be happy accidents or just unintentional. If they were intentional, they may have been injected at later stages in the process, such as the power of editing and post-production. They may not have been inventions of the director or of the writer. It's also entirely possible that I've watched this film too many times, and I've overthought it, and my theories at this point are basically fan fiction. But I think, dear listener, that Truman knows what's going on before the film even starts. Nowadays, when I watch The Truman Show, I delight in this level of detail and speculation that turns the whole movie on its head. It's at once both complicated and kind of simplified. The entire 120 minutes are Truman's escape, and we're watching everybody else figure it out. Thank you for listening to True Talk. My name is Christopher Bingham. In the next and final episode, we'll be talking about goofs, trivia, little details, easter eggs, uh, and other little bits and pieces to wrap this up. There's a lot of stuff out there about The Truman Show. There's a lot of, you know, there's 20 years of discourse and and IMDb users pointing out mistakes. And we're going to talk about some of them. We're going to talk about the early versions of the script. We're going to talk about a couple of continuity errors. Uh, a couple of my personal criticisms and least favorite moments, because so far I've almost exclusively been positive, there are things that I don't like about the film, and I'll talk about them in episode six. If you like this, you can find other stuff that I've made online by searching for my name or going to Twitter at uh, HelloIamBing. And of course, you can send me an email if you want to talk more about this film, if you want to share your feedback on this series. Uh, there is an email in my bio.